Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Hello, I'm John Fugelsang. Greetings and welcome to the Love Fest. This is Tell Me Everything, the little show at What the Hell O'Clock that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Good evening to all of our live listeners. You are our evil army of the night. We'd love to hear from you at 866-997-4748. Hello to the Daywalkers, everyone listening through the magic of SiriusXM's merger with Pandora. Hello to everyone on demand, everyone on the SiriusXM app and the John Fuglesang podcast. We love to hear from you guys, too. If you ever find yourself near a phone during these ungodly work hours, please feel free to join the conversation. We'd love to add to our varsity of callers. And, of course... As always, uh, you're welcome to write us at our Facebook page or my website. We will read your comments on the air. Uh, If they're mean, we will point out all spelling errors. That's just a little service we provide. What can I tell you? We're bringing this show to you with the great Chris Hauselt out of the beautiful state of South Carolina, the mighty Thea Harper out of the gorgeous borough of Brooklyn, and I come to you from a basement somewhere in Manhattan. We have a really great one tonight. There's a lot going on, and when I say a lot... I mean, we're going to have to really try to get everything covered in a very brief time tonight. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg is showing Democrats how to not be a pinata. And he filed a lawsuit against Jim Jordan, accusing the Ohio congressman of actively interfering with and attempting to influence and intimidate his office during their pending trial with Donald Trump. That's how you punch a bully in the face. Welcome to the find out part, Jimbo. Uh, Also, the video game Discord server was discovered to be the original source of that leak from the Pentagon of 100 plus pages of classified U.S. intel on at least 10 foreign nations. It's really bizarre. It's scary. It's crazy. I'm dying to know who posted it. I doubt we ever will. Chris and I have been trying to figure out who would have leaked what was leaked and why. I've already got a crazy conspiracy theory about it. But among the leaked intel was this revelation, Egypt 
had been working on ways to build and send up to 40,000 missiles to the Russian front lines in Ukraine. And this unfortunate leak comes out just as President Joe Biden lands in Belfast, Northern Ireland, to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. On top of that, the Democrats have picked the location for their 2024 convention, and it will be in Chicago in 2024 from August 19th to 22nd. Write it down. Make sure you're not busy. And I will explain later in the show why this is actually a really smart, if not altogether terribly original, idea. Also tonight, Two-Face Tuesday, featuring, well, we'll get to the nominees in a moment, uh, the great Bob Henley, one of the finest journalists on labor in the country on the Rutgers strike and the rising tide of American labor. Natalia Reagan joins us for another installment of Shit You Can't Say, and she'll bring some idiom or trope and just ruin it for me. Uh, Dr. Tracy Pearson joins us to talk about, well, among other things, the subtle differences in policy between Mifepristone and Viagra. Tonight's show is dedicated to the dude on Twitter who called me a communist fascist. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. I, I, many times I'm, I'm called like a, a Biden basher and a Biden apologist in the same day, but being called a communist fascist, it's so much tighter as oxymorons go. I'm proud to be on the extreme left wing of the extreme right wing. Thank you. You're brilliant. I, I'll guess where you consume your news. All right. Are we all set? Are we ready? We have a packed show. We want to talk to all y'all tonight. Let's get to it. Uh, it's time to play Two-Face Tuesday. Who is the double-talking Two-Face hypocrite of the day? And there's a lot to get to. Number one, U.S. District Judge Matthew Kazmarek, a proxy for Donald Trump. Now, Kazmarek is a former anti-abortion activist. We've been through this. Uh, this anti-abortion group went judge shopping all through Texas. They finally found some yokel Donald Trump had turned into a judge. And he is the one who looked for any way he could to take away medicated abortion, the pill that has been used for 20 years, the most common way women terminate pregnancies, and the way we avoid those unpleasant surgeries the Republicans talked about for so long. Well, he has now invalidated the federal approval of the drug. But a segment's not about him. It's about Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump ran for president, saying that all he wanted to do was kill Roe v. Wade. And then it goes back to the states, folks. Then the states will decide. He was a fat liar then. He's a fat liar now. He never meant it. Because we see what they're doing. It's not just the states that had trigger laws to ban abortion. No, they're trying to ban it nationwide. States where abortion rights were taken away by a Supreme Court, three members of which, maybe four, should be impeached because they're not qualified. A couple of them perjured themselves in their committee hearings. But these states are now trying to take away abortion rights from states that don't want to. And it's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. It's like a vote-generating machine for Democrats. The more these fake Christians bank to the right, the more disgusted the sane American majority gets. But this is on Trump. He lied. They are trying to take abortion rights away nationwide. And this comes after 200-plus pharmaceutical executives. And how often do I get to say they're the good guys? But 200-plus pharmaceutical executives wrote a letter jointly criticizing this ruling on abortion pills and saying this creates uncertainty that could ripple through the entire industry. It's deeply unpopular. The executive said it ignores science. Carry on, Republicans. Okay, number two on Two-Face Tuesday. And this one's painful. And I need your thoughts on this because we're this is a story that's just beginning to gain traction worldwide. I think in two weeks from now, everyone, including the most horrible people in the world, will be having many opinions on it. The Dalai Lama has done something no other religious leader could do. He's united the entire world about something. 
the problem is it's the thing is being repulsed by the Dalai Lama. Now, we like to say on this show that we're fair, right? You, we want to believe we're fair, that if someone on, on the side we root for did something horrible, we demand accountability. And generally, I, again, I'm not a Democrat, but I'm impressed at how well Democrats are willing to cut loose their own for any minor infraction. And that's fine. I get it. But I want to believe that we can do this. Now, the current Dalai Lama is the world's best known living Buddhist figure. He's revered by millions. He is considered to be the reincarnation of his 13 predecessors. And that's really the problem here. He's been based, as you know, in India since the late 50s after his unsuccessful Tibetan uprising against China's occupation. And again, I'm pro-Tibet. Tibet should be free. Um, but in the last several decades, His Holiness has established his government in exile in the north Indian city of uh, Dhammashala. Thousands of Tibetans followed him there and live there. He's a spiritual hero. He's a great man. Not saying he's not. Okay? Not saying Tibet shouldn't be free. Not saying he's been wrong about things, geopolitically or spiritually. Well, yeah, he has, actually. Because in 2018, uh, he had to apologize because he was interviewed by the BBC. And he said if a female Dalai Lama comes after him, she should be more attractive. And that was pretty bad. But we were like, oh, he's old. It's fine. And then the next year, he said Europe should be kept for Europeans. When he was talking about all the refugees from Africa and the Middle East entering the continent, he said the whole Europe will eventually become a Muslim country. Impossible or African country, also impossible. He said it's better to keep Europe for the Europeans. And you're like, oh, well, uh, all right. He, okay, Grandpa, you're, you're going off again. But folks, those are just your average ignorant wrong things to say and do. They're not child abuse. The Dalai Lama just apologized last night after this video emerged, and we talked about it briefly on the show. We're not going to play the audio of the video. You can go look at it if you want to see it. I, I, think, I think I'm going to describe it quite well. And yet, if you watch the video, it'll still be shocking. This is the video of him kissing this little boy on the lips and then asking the little boy to suck on his tongue at this event in northern India, even just saying the words to you now. The statement came out today, or yesterday rather, and the Dalai Lama's office said he wishes to apologize to the boy and his family, as well as his many friends across the world, for the hurt his words may have caused. And they said he regrets the incident. His holiness often teases people he meets in an innocent and playful way, even in public and before cameras. It's not going to be enough. If ever, if ever there was someone who was just going to get canceled. But this is the one, maybe the one major figure on earth that you technically can't cancel, ever, even beyond the grave. Let me explain. Uh, in the video, the little boy is walking up to the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> and says, can I hug you? And his holiness, who's 87, he's getting on. He invites the boy on the stage and he points to his cheek and says, first here. And the boy gives him a kiss and a hug. Uh, and then he and then he says on the lips. And then he says, and suck my tongue and pokes his tongue out. We don't know who the boy is. Uh, his identity has been kept a secret. Now, some people, believe it or not, are uh, defending him. A Tibetan activist in exile. Namdal Agari, who I'm sure is a wonderful person, said expressions of emotions and manners today has been melted together and becoming vividly westernized, bringing in narrative of other cultures, customs, and social influence on gender and sexuality to interpret Tibetan way of expression is heinous. Sticking out one's tongue is a sign of respect or agreement and was often used as a greeting in traditional Tibetan culture. You stick out your tongue. This is established, okay? That, that's, that's okay. But, um not suck on it, not to a little boy. Even Michael Jackson knew you don't 
do this stuff on camera. Hawk, the Center for Child Rights, said in a statement they condemn all form of child abuse. Some news refers to Tibetan culture about showing tongue, but this video is certainly not about any cultural expression, and even if it is, such cultural expressions are not acceptable. It's an awful story. Can I just point out one little thing, though, as bad as this is? All the other religions have really had to wait a long time to get to make fun of Buddhists. Like, the Buddhists have always been above all this bullshit. We see all the other religions, just every, atrocities, scandals, fuck-ups, abuse. The Buddhists, oh, they're, they're, they're over there with Tina Turner. They're, they're centered. They asked Dalai Lama about this incident, and he said, it was nothing. That's a Buddhist joke. But do, do you understand how bad this is? Do you understand how bad this is going to be for me? I'm never going to be able to resell my Kundun DVD now. How, how, how do you solve this? How do you damage control the Dalai Lama telling a little boy to suck on his tongue on camera? And the worst part is you can't manage it. There's no way to damage control this at all. He didn't just he, he, he broke the entire Dalai Lama brand for all future eternity because the Dalai Lama can't be fired. His soul has booked that gig for all future lifetimes. So you could fire him. It doesn't matter. You can lock him up. You can say he has dementia, which I would bet cash money we should expect to happen within the next two weeks. We'll be hearing this 87-year-old man has dementia, but it still doesn't solve the problem. Wait, they could kill him and make it look like an accident. No, that you can't even kill him and make it look like an accident to make this go away. You know why? Because he's going to die. At some point, he'll die. And he'll come back as the next Dalai Lama. And that's who I really feel bad for. The next Dalai Lama. Because the next Dalai Lama has to be a reincarnation of this one. Can you imagine that poor kid? They're going to be calling him a predator before he can walk. Hi, uh, can, I, can I play with you? No, my mom says I can't play with you because in a previous life you tried to suck a boy's tongue. What? No one's going to want their kid to be the next Dalai Lama. The brand is broken. Did you ever see Little Buddha with Keanu Reeves? Little Bud, huh? <laughs> where, where were they tell a kid he's a reincarnated Lama? These Buddhists are going to show up at someone's house and the parents are going to be like, you get the hell out of here. No, you did not. My child is not. My child is not the Dalai Lama. I don't want to hear dick out of you. Go away. No one's going to let their kid be taken away to be the Dalai Lama. How do they handle it? How do the Buddhists do this? The only way the Buddhists can get out of this is to come out and just say, folks, I'm sorry. Turned out 87 years ago, our forebears actually picked the wrong child. As the Dalai Lama. Yeah, we got it off. Our, our bad. Our bad. Yeah. Oh the, oh, the real one. The real one's out there somewhere. We're trying to find him. He may have died and already been reincarnated. So maybe there be a little kid we can bring in. But, uh, yep, we got the wrong Kundun. Sorry, folks. But, but finally, let me just get to the last one here. Again, for Two-Face Tuesday. You think, who could be worse? Wait, wait, wait. Who, who, who could be worse than the Dalai Lama in terms of two-facedness? Uh, I'll tell you. It's not as disgusting, but morally, uh, it's kind of worse. And that's Elon Musk. It all began when free speech hero Elon Musk didn't understand the difference between public media and state-controlled media. Come with me on this. I know you're still retching from his holiness, but, you know, Elon went and labeled NPR and the BBC as uh, state-run media. Now, of course, um, NPR's government support does not affect the network's editorial decisions, but Elon is a man who didn't understand that a privately owned free web platform, Twitter, kicking people off or violating terms of service was not the same thing as the power to take away someone's free speech rights. So he labeled it uh, state-run media. Last week, he said the designation was appropriate, was accurate. He did this to the BBC, too, because Elon's using Twitter to undermine democracy itself. 
by deliberately falsely equating NPR to state-run media. His whole goal is to undermine the entire Western liberal order and just shift more and more power to the anti-democratic right wing, especially in the U.S. I mean, he's using Twitter to attack the most well-respected news outlets. First, he went after the New York Times. Remember, took away their blue check mark. He called them pure propaganda. And now he's labeled NPR's Twitter account as state-affiliated media. State-affiliated media. That's a label they put on, on Chinese and Russian propaganda outlets like RT, state-affiliated media. Now, folks, NPR gets less than 1% of its funding from the federal government. What's that number again? Let me double check. Yes, less than 1% of its funding from the federal government. And the content of NPR is in no way controlled by the government. And if you don't believe me, listen to how hard they keep trying to be as bland as possible to draw conservatives in. So they they heard the criticism and now they've swapped their labeling of NPR as state-affiliated media to government-funded media. Government-funded media. And the worst part about it, the worst part about it is it made Donald Trump Jr., really happy in a coke rage video decades since they were independent or fact-based or unbiased or you know uncontrolled by the democrat party another one but they put out a statement they say we are all disturbed to see last night that twitter has labeled npr state affiliated media a description that per twitter's own guidelines does not apply npr and our mother stations are supported by millions of listeners who depend on us for independent <laughs> Independent, fact-based, another great joke, journalism that we provide. National Public Radio. Yeah, it's not state-sponsored radio. Of course it is. It's the radio channel of the regime. I don't know that anyone actually listens to it, but we spend millions of taxpayer (laughs) dollars funding NPR. Yeah, okay. So again, um, uh, thank you, Chris. NPR gets uh, 1% of their annual budget from the government, and they're now called government-funded media. Now, you might be saying, well, that's shitty, but that's really worse than Dalai Lama? Yeah, come along with me a little deeper. Because NPR, by the way, has not tweeted since they were first labeled state-affiliated media last week on April 4th. NPR gets their money from donations from listeners like you and when widows of Ray Kroc die and leave them gazillions. And NPR has said they will not tweet from their account on Twitter until Elon gets rid of a false label describing them as state-affiliated media. I keep wondering, how can Twitter suck more? This year, man. Between, between the death of David Crosby, the death of Lance Reddick, and the death of the verified feed. It's been a really bad year for that website. And by the way, BBC argued uh, that they were funded by the British public through the license fee, and they've always been independent. Now, prior to last week, Twitter used to recognize state-affiliated media to be groups where the state exercises control over editorial content through financial resources, direct or indirect political pressures, and or control over production and distribution. The policy further specified NPR and the BBC have editorial independence and are not state-affiliated media. But then, quietly, they updated this online last week so that it excluded NPR. They literally changed their own rules to punish National Public Radio and the BBC. And here's the funny part about this. Elon Musk's companies have received more federal government funding than NPR has received in its entire existence. Elon, again, is calling it state-affiliated media, but Elon's various businesses have taken more money from the U.S. government than NPR has in its entire history. Tesla. But again, Voice of America, no label. 
that is government propaganda. Voice of America, which is fine programming, but it literally is American propaganda. What about the Saudi press agency? That's Saudi Arabia state news outlet. Uh, no, no gold check. They are not labeled state-run media. Now, isn't that interesting? Considering Elon Musk, free speech champion, got several billion from a Saudi prince to purchase Twitter in the first place. How much did he take from Saudi? His biggest partner at Twitter is Saudi Arabia, specifically the Kingdom Holding Company and the private office of Prince Alawid bin Talal, billionaire, member of the royal family, former number two at News Corps. That's right. All throughout the Iraq war, the number two guy at Fox News was a Muslim billionaire. Now, the Saudis say they are the second biggest Twitter investor with their stake worth over $1.89 billion. This might surprise you, but the people who run Saudi Arabia are not fans of free speech. Elon Musk took over the site under the lie that he was doing it to restore free speech with money from people. I think I, I think Jamal Khashoggi could tell us all about how not pro free speech Saudi Arabia's royal family is if he was available. Unfortunately, another Saudi crown prince kidnapped him and assassinated him, according to U.S. intelligence. And that same man, Mohammed bin Salman, is still repressing free speech in Saudi Arabia and throws his critics in jail. So back in. Five years ago, Musk said after Khashoggi's murder, he probably would never accept investment from Saudi Arabia from their wealth fund because they had failed to publicly back his bid to take Tesla private. He said it was because of Khashoggi, but the real reason was the Saudis wouldn't stake him on Tesla. Now, the Saudi fund owns 16.9% of Kingdom Holding Company. They are the second largest shareholder at Twitter. Earlier this month, Saudi Arabia sentenced Saad Ibrahim al-Mahdi who is a U.S.-Saudi dual citizenship, to 16 years in jail because he criticized the Saudi regime on Twitter. His son says the kingdom has tortured his father in prison. And Elon Musk will not comment on this. He'll talk about conspiracy theories of Hillary Clinton. He will spread conspiracy theories that Paul Pelosi was involved in some kind of gay tryst when he got his head bashed in from a hammer. He'll defend his right to do it because it's free speech. But when there's real freedom of speech, real freedom of speech on the table... Elon can't do it. He's a coward and he never meant it and he can't put his money where his mouth is. Tesla and SpaceX both got more money from the government than NPR. But it's really the fact that he'll punish NPR for being state-run media while cozying up to the Saudis and playing dumb about their murderous violations of free speech. Elon Musk, you are our double-talking, two-faced hypocrite of the day. Happy Two-Faced Tuesday to you. Let's get to the phone before we go anywhere. Uh, hey, Marie in Atlanta, tell me about Alvin Bragg. What do you think about this? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, actually, when I was, I was listening, I've been paying attention to the Bragg story for quite a while. And yeah. Jim Jordan's uh, response to it, sitting in D.C. in the comfort of his chair in the House, casting all kinds of aspersions and, and frankly saying some things that come pretty close to uh, what might be criminal behavior in New York. And I kept yeah. thinking when Alvin Bragg initially sent the letter response to Jim Jordan saying, I invite you to come to New York, I said, oh, this is mm -hmm. interesting. He's because if he chicken. did the same thing in New York, he'd be doing it in Alvin Bragg's uh, jurisdiction and the venue where he has jurisdiction. And Correct. so should he make that type of threatening, those types of threatening statements, he could, in fact, end up being prosecuted. So now that he now that Jim Jordan has decided he's going to take his committee up to New York, 
Oh, please hold that meeting in Manhattan. Please. <laughs> it's please. never going to happen. You, I think you'll, you'll see them back down now. Alvin Bragg is playing chicken, and we know that Jim Jordan is a coward. We know that the entire Trump caucus is all about self-preservation, and believe me, they will turn on Trump as soon as they need to to save their own skins. We're not there yet, but Jim Jordan uh, has got his eyes on the prize in the House, and he is really not going to jeopardize that by losing a battle to uh, Alvin Bragg. I don't know. He's shown himself to be pretty dumb. Well, I mean, you know, Bragg is trying to stop the former Manhattan prosecutor uh, Pomerantz, who resigned last year and wrote a book about investigating Trump. He's trying to stop that guy from complying with the House GOP subpoena. Mm -hmm. So I think in many ways he filed this lawsuit so Jim Jordan will back off of subpoenaing former employees of his office. Because couldn't that, Marie, you're the attorney here, couldn't that jeopardize the integrity of his case? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, the things that an attorney may discuss within the confines of their office, in theory, with their client, those are the product of, in essence, it's like attorney-client privilege. It's work product, um, so letters, notes, um, memos, that sort of thing. That would be work product. And then particularly with respect to um, the the theory of the case and, and the case plan, those kinds of things if they have to be turned over in discovery, they're turned over to a party in discovery. Jim mm. Jordan and the House committee, they're not a party to this. Uh-huh. So they don't really have any standing to demand those records. How do you see this playing out, They don't have out, jurisdiction. Marie. But how do you see this playing out? They're going to back down, right? I don't know that they'll back down, but I don't know that they'll win. <laughs> I mean, that's the more important point. They might not back down, but they won't win. And And knowing how the Republicans play... They will turn that into a, see, this East Coast liberal George Soros run city of New York, blah, 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 right? So they'll turn that into, we're the victims, even though we did something that we had no authority to do. Well, he's actually going after them, saying that their committee lacks the elements set by the Supreme Court in the Mazars case to subpoena another branch of the government. But he said that they began a transparent campaign to intimidate and attack and that he's gotten multiple death threats, including a package containing suspicious white powder. I'm sorry. I'm just happy to see someone on the Democratic side that's going to punch back. It's nice. It's refreshing. (laughs) Marie, thank you so much. You're the best. Have a great, great evening. And don't go anywhere. Quick break. When we come back, your calls and... The great Bob Henley joins us. This is Progress. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugel saying we're at 866-997-4748. 
For the first time in Rutgers University's 257-year history, the unions representing their 9,000-plus faculty and graduate student workers, virtually the the, the entire teaching uh, force of the entire university, have called a strike. It is huge. Uh, It has begun. We wondered for a while if this would happen, and now indeed it has. I'm kind of in awe. I'm kind of excited about it. Massive strikes that we've seen happening at at Rutgers, at University of Michigan, Governor State, uh, Temple. Um, The bosses are now realizing that we may indeed be in a new era of a rising tide of labor. The president of Rutgers' response says, uh, well, they, they kept standing up to union, and then they finally would come unprepared to meetings, but they're claiming they worked really hard on this for months. But the first strike in 250 plus years of the university makes me need to talk to Robert Handley, the award-winning investigative journalist with a 40-year career covering public policy from top to bottom, corruption, homeland security, immigration, environmental policy, and the best damn labor journalist in the game. You may have seen or read Mr. Henley over the years from WNYC, Miami Herald, Detroit Free Press, 60 Minutes, and of course, Salon, Bob Henley, welcome back. Thanks for having me. There must be a strike in the air. <laughs> it's it's pretty exciting. Um, and you point out what's so disconcerting is the union contract expired 284 days ago and that Rutgers leadership and Governor Murphy failed to connect the rising tide of union militancy around the country to events unfolding on the Camden, Newark and New Brunswick campuses of one of the nation's oldest universities. I got to say, if I'm Phil Murphy, I, I, I don't let this go for almost a whole year. Well, not if you also are uh, head of the National Governors Association and a uh, high officer in the Democratic Governors Association. You might have had a little chin wag with Gavin Newsom over in California, who recently uh, had to deal with the university's California strike, which was the largest strike, I think, in U.S. history of higher ed. See, yep. I don't know what it is. Like, Murphy wants to project a national reputation and image, and so does Rutgers, but they don't pay attention to their backyard and the circumstance of working people that they rely on every day. And that Mm. seems to be the common thread we see with Starbucks, with Jeff Bezos, with Amazon, is even after the pandemic, they're just blind to working people's experience. I agree. I agree. And and by the way, this is something that our Republican brothers and sisters in these positions are going to have to start realizing and reckoning with. But but I know it's three different unions, Bob, that represent all these professors and support staff. What are their key issues? What have they been asking for? Well, they, of course, want to get uh, um, higher pay. They also have a, a workforce that has hired, um, you know, the whole research assistant adjunct thing is a year-by-year thing, which is very difficult to it, so there's no predictability. Um, there's also the fact that in uh, the areas that uh, Camden, New Brunswick, and Newark, um, you're dealing with, uh, and the surrounding communities, very high rent. And so you're asking people to basically subsidize these institutions that do pay administration huge fees, do pay their football coaches and other uh, high-profile sports coaches, huge salaries, and yet they have kind of built a model that's exploitative. And so, and the other thing, too, is they're also asking for relief uh, from the nickel and diming that happens to students 
who are yeah. who are struggling themselves. These, Which is great. These, these, right. I, and, and the thing is, if you've had someone that's graduating college and at the very last minute they put the cherry on the Sunday by then saying, well, you can't walk unless we get your $300 parking fee that's it. from, <sighs> you know, four years ago. And so there's, there's just been this kind of uh, uh, approach to higher education where they, they've lost connection to the people that are actually doing it. And so that is why a strike is necessary. No one likes to do that. I mean, the level of organizing that it takes is huge. But the other problem for management is once people have gone to the trouble of uh, having the courage to strike, they're emboldened. And every yeah. day that this goes on, um, they're going to find more spine and uh, more courage and get more support. And so I think it's important to put this in the national context. The Bureau of Labor Statistics keeps track of this. We had the second most strikes since 2002, 23 right. major strikes. Uh, if you look at the, uh, what uh, Cornell University tracks, all kinds of labor actions, small ones, lockouts, there was 417 in 2022. That's a spike of more than 50% from the prior year. And then I guess most optimistically, it's a 57% jump in people applying in their workplace for the chance to join a unit. 57% increase in the first half of 2022, the National Labor Relations Board. So we still, though, have a lot of work to do. We're still a fraction of where we were in terms of the percentage of the workforce. It's around 10%. And, and back in the 50s, it was three times that. Public sector, it's somewhat better, but people are now willing to put their neck on the line to try to advance their circumstance by acting yeah. collectively. Yeah. And that once that starts getting traction, you're talking about making some real social progress. Well, as you point out, we just saw 48,000 University of California employees go on try on strike for six whole weeks. I mean, you'd think that the people running Rutgers would be paying attention and reading the tea leaves. You you kind of nail it about the Democrats on this one, Bob, because there's always this question of what do we do, the donors or the voters? And you write, while professional beltway Democrats urge their party to be more moderate as the country steals itself for 2024, there's evidence the labor movement, which acts as the arms and legs of the party, is growing increasingly militant and more willing to strike to upend the status quo. I completely agree. Do you think the smart Democratic political campaign play for the next two years is to go ahead and do something radical like supporting a living wage for unions? Well, I know that in, in I just uh, interviewed Senator, uh, State Senator Ramos today in Albany, who's uh, the chair of the Labor Committee. They're going for a $22 minimum wage. They are stepping it up. Uh, they're not following that playbook of uh of trying to i mean we've I, I think it's important to look at where working people are now in terms of historically and so for i guess since uh, uh reagan fired all the air traffic controllers mm-hmm. in the early 1980s uh labor was on the run and it, it shows in the in the way that wealth concentration accelerated and still is and so that social contract between americans and work became really degraded to the point that uh, you have to, you know, you get your schedule for work in the morning. Um, there's a, a great uh, James Parrott, a great economist out of the New School, refers to this this gig economy as being made up of the precariat, not the proletariat. And hmm. it's the idea that 
you uh, have, you know, just your, your, your life revolves around your job and you don't have any sense of command and control. It's all being run by the bosses. The pandemic really changed that. And this mass death event of losing, losing over a million people, many of them essential workers and millions yep. more sidelined, yep. has people asking the existential question about what is life for and where does work fit into that? And mm. so I think that this is just one of those uh, once-in-a-century opportunities. We saw it, ironically, after the, the Spanish uh, uh, flu in the early part of World War One, we saw a similar ascendancy. It's like human consciousness has gone through a traumatic experience and is empowered by it. It takes something away from it, and the old power structure falls away. Mm. Uh, by the way, if you want to read Bob's piece on this, it's in InsiderNJ.com. We'll retweet it. But it's called Rutgers Strike in a National Context. And Bob, is it true that um, the National Labor Relations Board in the first half of last year uh, had a 57% increase in applications for union representation? They can't keep up with it. I mean, that's another problem is that the National Labor Relations Board, I, I do have to give props to the Biden administration because the the folks that are working there now are, I would say, uh, pro-labor. We've had uh, for decades the actual uh, Department of Labor and independent boards around labor were often stacked with corporate types. Uh, Anthony Scalia's son was the labor secretary. He was a management side labor lawyer. Uh, it's only just with an elections matter and have consequences. It's only with the election of President Biden that we've seen the Labor Department start working on behalf of of, of American workers. Uh, that said, years of this uh, siding with corporations, and you see it even now to some degree. I mean, here you have this great organizing drive with Starbucks and Amazon, and what these companies do is willfully violate labor law. Mm. And what they'll do is when people get a card count and when they get uh, a, an election, they will drag their feet, they will uh, fight it, and they'll just be scofflaws. They'll violate the law. Sure. Now, I think it's time to start saying that there's a criminal sanction for it. If you're going to be Jeff uh, Bezos and you're coming up with a strategy that violates labor law and crushes people's democratic labor rights, which is part mm. of, uh, of the law— that there should be a consequence. You should have. You potentially could be indi- should be indicted for that. For some reason, when it comes to property and it comes to economic loss, oh, this system has got their arms around it. We're going to preserve and protect property. When mm. it comes to labor, it's a civil matter. Let's negotiate. How about a universal settlement? But hmm. heaven forbid somebody go to jail. <laughs> Bob, I have to ask you about. Um... Another recent piece you wrote for Salon, 21st Century Slavery, Remembering MLK in the Age of Infectious Greed. I, I thought of you last week on Dr. King's birthday because I always find myself every year when that date comes around trying to remind the world that by the time he died, he was as devoted to the issues of uh, anti-war activism and fighting for organized labor as he was to civil rights. And it seems like you know, a media that can never cover labor will never cover a Labor Day parade uh, really doesn't like to talk too much about why Dr. King was in Memphis that day. 
Right. And, of course, we know that uh, two uh, garbage workers had actually died because of a malfunctioning trash compactor. They sought sanctuary from the rain, jumped into the back of it, and it crushed them. And he came down there, I'm okay, did to support AFSME. It had been a, a bitter strike that had gone on for, uh, I, I guess, 30 days. And, uh, yes, it, and he, he uh, was getting support from uh, labor at key points. The UAW, Mike Quill from uh, the TWU, the FLCO. But where, of course, he was very isolated was when he started to make the connection between the war in Vietnam and the military-industrial complex and the deprivation here at home. Mm-hmm. And that was the third rail. And so uh, that is, I, I, will, I did reflect on this, that I am starting to see, though, that his more um, radical social justice agenda is finding its way back into the conversation. Yes. Uh, the UAW, uh, Sean Fain, is the new elected president of the UAW, which has been through an awful spate of corruption, cases and convictions. And so at a recent gathering, he was citing uh, 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 Martin Luther King and uh, and really kind of recommitting BYW to the social justice agenda that yes. made them the dynamo of another era. And so I do think that this is getting a kind of a momentum and it's disconnected from the beltway. It's it's not it's not something that's being driven by focus groups. Um, and also, I would say the other issue that I keep that's connected to labor, the number one labor issue right now is health care and the crisis of affordability and the fact that um, we have a for profit system of health care, which relies on scarcity. And we've seen the result of it. There's a direct connection. It's no accident that we're four percent of the world's population and 12 percent of the covid deaths. We pay mm-hmm. more for health care than any other equivalent OECD developed country and have the worst outcomes and have the numbers to prove it. And so now we're stuck in this place where since COVID, the premiums are going sky high. Yeah. We have uh, all kinds of pushback. We have a big movement going on in New York City. We're retiring New York City. Uh, civil service are being pushed into Aetna, Medicare Advantage, something they don't want to do. And so I, I believe that this is something that, of course, nobody wants to talk about health care in Washington because they're all getting money from some side of the debate. Sure. And as much as I uh, think the Affordable Care Act was important, we can see from the pandemic in the results, it wasn't enough. And one of the leading causes for uh, high incidence of death and disease in a community was lack of access to health care. So there's a connection between our model for health care and just how devastating COVID was. But, you know, let me ask you about that then, because, I mean, you're, you're right to point out, Bob, and you've consistently pointed out the last couple of years that organized labor has been stepping up during COVID to help workers and first responders, which we ironically call people we put on the first lot on the front lines. But as you document in this piece next month, Joe Biden's going to formally declare the end to the COVID-19 public health emergency. They're going to put up their mission accomplished banner, more or less, or just, you know, saying we're moving on to a new mission. And what's that going to mean for this strained, struggling healthcare system when the federal government starts to leave the COVID testing up to, uh, let's just say, the goodwill and lack of greed of big pharma? 
So that is, uh, you're talking about at least 15 million people that were being carried on Medicaid uh, through the pandemic. They're probably going to be bumped off. You're talking about all kinds of of things that were put into place to help the marginal population get by. And there's nothing to replace it. And so that's why I'm saying that this is the number one labor issue, because if Americans continue to have to pay for their health care through their employment, John, they'll never see another raise again. Exactly. And so that. But hey, you don't you don't want those immigrants coming here, taking your stuff. (laughs) That's how they get them. (laughs) That's how. And this is the other thing that's connected to that. I always hear about how expensive American infrastructure is. And, um, you know, that union labor that builds those bridges and builds those roads. Well, and they compare it to the Times was that they compare it to Europe. Well, in Europe, construction companies aren't paying for the health care of the workers that are building the bridges and highways. That's right. So That's right. I, I just think that and this is not something they want to have. On the, they'd much rather have the Democrats just want to get by on not being Trump. That's the whole game plan, John. Well, pray for for the health of the health of Mr. Trump, because that's all they got. They're a little more specific than that, I got to say. I mean, I mean, abortion rights are going to really help them as well. But you're right. I will never get I will never not want to see the Democratic Party fight more proudly for organized labor. And and while I've got you here before our break for another minute, you, you mentioned uh, Eric Adams, who, you know, deserves to be hailed for the first New York City mayor to serve on an outpatient basis since Giuliani. Um, but he's now signed this pact with Aetna Insurance pushing the, what what is it, a quarter of a million retired civil servants. Yeah, they're just into- absolutely up in arms about it. Yeah, Aetna is also, aside from the fact that they were involved with the slave trade, you know, someone's got to insure that kind of thing. Uh, and and admitted it, but haven't made any kind of, uh, aside from just saying it was true, uh, they're also, uh, the New York Times reported last year that they were under a Department of Justice investigation, which they disclosed themselves in their own 10K filings. In fact, the whole Medicare Advantage model has got profound problems. And, and because the way it works is these companies come in and they make money by turning your access to health care to being like Candyland with That's prior it. authorizations. No, you may need an MRI, but put your hand in the bag and see if you deserve it. Uh, <laughs> and then, for the best part of it, they tell the government you're sicker than you are through coding and then deny you access to the care you need. And so that's what's happening. And so it, it's going to right. run up the bill on Medicare. And it, they even have this for Medicaid, too. I mean, I just did... Uh, I just had someone on my show here in New York. Scott DeNoyer, is, uh, his son well, Danny was 23 years old. He was on a Medicaid <laughs> Advantage program. Advantage. Yep. He missed his 20. You know the story? He didn't read the fine print. Yeah, but we got to hit a break, Bob. I'm so sorry. I do want you to know, though, I think the greatest moral argument for single payo health care is that it would end all those TV ads for Medicare Part C. Yes. Those would be gone. Exactly. That alone, we should sell it on that. How do we follow you, Mr. Henley? At Stuck Nation, because we surely are. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. We got to hit a break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. We're at 866-997-4748. We're talking about New York DA Alvin Bragg suing the House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan over his brazen and unconstitutional attack. We're talking about Elon Musk lying about NPR being government-funded media. We're talking about the Dalai Lama. Not The Dalai Lama has broken the brand of the Dalai Lama. They can never have a Dalai Lama again after this. And, of course, we're talking about uh, this incredible dump of Pentagon secrets that was somehow dumped onto the, the, the Discord video game server right on the eve of Joe Biden landing in Belfast. There's so much chaos. I need a break. I need to talk to someone smarter and funnier than me. Enter Natalia Reagan, one of our favorite guests, an anthropologist, a primatologist, an actor, a writer, a producer, a comic, a host. Uh, one time she danced as a McNugget in a TV commercial. She doesn't like to talk about that too much. And of course, a lot of y'all fell in love with her as an all-star host for Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk. Every now and then she joins us to enlighten us with installments of Shit You Can't Say. Natalia, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, the home. Dalai Lama nearly broke me today. All I can it, think about is he was channeling his inner Lama. And, uh, you know, yeah, as a Catholic, it's as a Catholic, a recovering Catholic, you know, interesting seeing this happen to another religion. I think all the uh, religions have been jealous of Buddhism because Buddhism doesn't fuck up like the other ones. Squeaky but, whoa, clean. That's done now. Squeaky clean. Done. Done. Oh, I, I actually went through all the all the questionable iffy things the Dalai Lama said in the past five years at the top of the show because the signs yeah. were the next Dalai Lama. If it was a woman, she should be very pretty. Be hot. Uh, um, okay. Got to be pretty. Yeah, yeah. Got to be pretty. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, uh, Europe should have no more immigration from Africa. I'm like, okay. Well, Grandpa's old, but I mean, this oh. Natalia. There's some oh. politicians in Tibet. There are some Tibetans in exile. God bless them who are trying to spin this somehow. This cannot be spun. There's no damage control for this. Yeah, I this is what this is the bingo card thing that I just did not. What did the did kids not. say? I didn't see this one for 2023 and it kind of broke my heart a little bit. But, you know, again, this is what happens when you have religion and thinking that people are gods or channeling God, because guess what? People are fallible. We make mistakes. Sometimes we show our true colors, which are yeah. not forgivable. <laughs> And it's I mean, scary. I know he's 87, but that makes it 10 times creepier. And, you oh, know, yeah. I, I said at the top of the show, you know who I really feel bad for? The next Dalai Lama. Because yeah. this one's ruined the brand. So so the next one, he'll be a, it'll, it'll be a baby born somewhere, but it's going to be this guy reincarnated. You have to believe that to give him the job. Oh, so can you imagine no. that poor kid is going to be called a grooming predator before he even makes it to high school? Like, no one's going to let their kids play with this kid. He's the next Dalai no. Lama. What parent would accept the Buddhists coming to their house and say, we think your child is the next Dalai Lama? Get away. Get away. No, not my kid. I mean, Gosh. I don't know how they could have a Dalai Lama again after this. It's yeah. Michael Jackson had a defense. He could do damage control. He could throw money at this and somehow, somehow evade it. 
there, there's, there's nothing that can be done here. I don't know, but how do we excuse priests or popes? I know they're not supposed to necessarily be the reincarnation of these we entities. Don't but they're supposed I to mean, be, you know, we don't. We we uh, you I, know, churches have got to learn how to dial nine one one. It's a hard number to punch out on a phone, but we we don't so excuse difficult. them. They go to jail if they're caught and convicted. They they you know, and they're defrocked or they're sent to these special places. I, I yeah, but they like that. They want to be defrocked. <laughs> that's that's don't threaten un- them unfrocked. with a good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfrocked, defrocked. So yeah, yeah, not a, no, not, a, not a good day uh, for for the spiritual leader of eleven million Tibetans. Um, but it's good to see you. I'm glad you're with us. Good to see you. Yes. yes. How did your show oh, with House Sparks go in L.A.? You're you're performing all over. Oh, the place. that was well. That was a couple weeks ago. And it went I great. I have actually one. another show with him. Uh, no, I did roast battle last week. That's right. I I came out and. and uh, my next show with with Hal is on Monday on the 17th at Flappers. So if you're around in Los Angeles, please come. But the roast battle went well. I came out in a banana suit. Yes. I got to, uh, Jeff Ross was the lead judge. That was right. a, a good time. And I went up against a friend of mine who's written on 10 roasts, all of Jeff Ross's shows, including, yes. you know, the burn and road to roast battle. And mm-hmm. I somehow won. So <laughs> nicely yeah. done. So uh, now you're stuck here with me again for another edition of Shit You Can't Say. and uh, You can't I, say! I, I spend all week wondering as I, you know, let little everyday idioms and tropes pass my lips if I'm ever going to be on your shit list. What is this week's phrase or problematic word that we really should stop using? Well, uh, I have a feeling you don't say this very often because uh, you actually believe in action. But the word or phrase today is thoughts and prayers. Something we hear a lot and given the um, recent just I mean, I can't even say recent shootings because there's mass shootings. I feel like, you know, every couple of days. Uh, So I think this is a phrase that started out being used as a, you know, um, condolence and it well intentioned. Yes. And uh, we saw it with natural disasters, with Katrina, with various earthquakes around the world, with Christchurch. But then when you had in Columbine in 1999, we saw it being used by by politicians. And it just sort of has grown as a as a as a cry for inaction. Uh, Basically, it's synonymous with I give my shits and giggles. Uh, That's it. You know, Uh, I wish it would change to, um, you know, policy and change rather than thoughts and prayers but it's an example of uh just assuming you know it, it will the world will un, unfuck itself and it's not going to there needs to be change and and that change is is you know gun control gun sense background checks things that yeah no country especially florida tennessee and texas are any um threat of doing right now so I, i'm just i would love to see this this word these words go away I agree. and um i agree you know and again like i i this is a special case for shit you can't say because obviously if someone sincerely means it then then it's well-intentioned but every time like i would hear a republican politician say thoughts and prayers like donald trump after a shooting i'm just like yep you know you, you can't say thoughts and prayers if you don't think and don't pray you just can't right? do it. But but this it reminds me a bit of uh, something Lou Reed said years ago where he said um, he hated R.I.P. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. He was like, it's like it's like the TV dinner of obituaries. It's just like, can't yeah. you think of something to say? You just got to say rip. And it's sort of become this sort of a uh, little trope when you just don't have anything useful to say. Just say thoughts and prayers. Rick Scott was tweeting how his friend, Tommy yeah. Elliott, was tragically killed in Louisville, his banker for many years, um, with thoughts and prayers. But. We don't want to actually do anything to prevent the next shooting. 
empty platitudes. It reminds me, even even in the Bible, I mean, this idea of um, you know praying to God, it's it's a two pronged process. You can't just pray to God and say, I, I want a million dollars, or you know, I want this great job you have to do the work too so even yeah. if if you are a, a christian you and you you were i say you follow the teachings of christ you would think you would also know that that it also takes action you know these words without action are empty they're absolutely meaningless and yeah. um so again this is just another example of unfortunately christian conservatives not following through with what they say they believe and instead um just you know, and then of course leaning into the whole idea of by wanting action, now you're politicizing it. Now you're being, you know, inappropriate. And it's like, no, the appropriate reaction to, you know, shootings multiple times a week, mass shootings multiple times a week is to do something about it that can can stop this. You know, when New Zealand had a mass shooting, what did they do? They enacted very strict gun control. And same with Australia and many other parts of the world. You know, I mean, back after World War II, I bring this up quite a bit. The Japanese actually, um, you know, for basically uh, there was lots yeah. of gun control, but also knife control because of the Yakuza. And they don't have mass shootings. Uh, and this is an example of you see even cultural shifts and changes. It can happen. Uh, as an anthropologist, I know that biological evolution takes time. Uh, in the case of bacteria or viruses, it doesn't need that much time. But when it comes to cultural evolution, it can happen really quickly. It's just you have to want it and you have to put it in place. And and at a certain point, it's kind of like addiction. Like, when are you going to hit your rock bottom? When is going to be the shooting that's going to, you know, and unfortunately, it has to hit close to home with a lot of these conservatives. Yeah, and that's, well, that's what I think. That's I, I, really I talk sad. About one degree of empathy. My theory is it's got to be right? one degree of empathy that everyone is going to have to know someone who has been hurt or killed by gun violence. Because I, I think, and I don't mean to be vulgar, but if I had to pick a, a, a very general trait that separates progressives from the modern right wing, I would say very broadly, very generally, that progressives care about people they've never met on a policy level. Conservatives care when it happens to someone they know and care about. Progressives care yep. when it happens to a stranger. And that's why I, I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be a lot more thoughts and prayers, a lot more deliberate, paid for inaction, and a lot more American children being piled up as corpses before we see any real action in this country. I mean, but eventually, I have no doubt it might not happen in my lifetime, Natalia, but don't you think that at some point, <laughs> the majority is going to start acting like it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I do think that I do believe that it is very you need close degrees of separation to, to be affected when you are that cold and calculating and, you know, think with your wallet. Uh, and, and that's the problem. But I think we're unfortunately moving at such a fast clip when it comes to mass shootings. It might happen sooner than we think. And that's a terrible thing to admit that, you know, the degrees of separation are going to get lower and lower and lower for more and more people, which I hate. You know, I do, too. Um, I, do too. I, I work with a, a friend of mine who is he kind of he's my, he's my business coach. And I had a business coach meeting with him a couple of weeks ago and, and we were on the phone and he was sounded a little little um, shaken up. And it turns out that, you know, there was. A basically one degree of separation from somebody who was killed in Tennessee, a child yeah. at the, that shooting uh, in Nashville. And, you know, again, he he's for gun reform uh, and gun uh, control. But still, you know, it's like you hear it more and more. I know friends that knew people in the um, the Chicago shooting at the parade. Yeah. And, you know, so it's just again, it's 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 the walls are closing in. You know, it's yeah. Listen, I'm the trash compactor. I, I, all of Star Wars is getting, it's closing in and we're all, I hope, it's sad though, how many people have to die. 
Yeah, and listen, I love this. I love this week's pick because I'm, I'm, you know, not all for banning the expression "thoughts and prayers." There are very sincere spiritual yeah. people who say it and mean it, but I'm really big in favor of ridiculing hypocrites who say that to avoid doing anything to prevent more of it. You know, and these are the same people who say, "Oh, you're just exploiting a tragedy." No, we're 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 trying to prevent the next ten. That's what this is about. Yeah. It's also right pro- it's provided a lot of musical. Um, inspiration uh the raconteurs have uh you know songs called thoughts and prayers good riddance which was a punk band that i listened to a lot in high school uh they also have an album called thoughts and prayers uh, and they basically said i'm sick of hearing that phrase especially when there's a mass shooting in new zealand and the nation takes steps to outlaw semi-automatic weapons in the same week meanwhile here in america we're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of mass shootings and not doing anything about it uh so yeah, yeah i mean it's hopefully fingers fingers crossed or dare i say hopes and prayers that hopes and prayers is <laughs> no longer and needed for something better than thoughts and prayers i think we can agree right. on that policy one. and change <laughs> do you want to talk to some of our uh, evil army of the night should we take some riffraff absolutely calls? bring them on uh, guys we're at 866-997-4748 let's say hello to jim in michigan hi jim thank you for oh, waiting on hold hey jim uh, hey natalia cool uh, love your rap it's very groovy so a question about the Dalai Lama. Yes. Has he done this behavior before? Is there any poop on that? Uh, I think we would have known about this. If he had done anything like this on a camera with, with audio recording device before. I mean, I did a rant on it at the top of the show, and I had to make the choice to not play the audio because, <laughs> trust me, as bad as I make it sound, it's worse. I haven't heard it. Okay, the next thing is, was the kid traumatized? Any evidence of that? I mean, did you, did you see it, Natalia? The child is visibly uncomfortable, and he can't be older yeah. than nine. I did not yeah. see it. I don't have much video. I get most of my stuff on the radio. The well, you can radio, see this so. anywhere. Anywhere there's an internet, you can just search this, and just, you, if you need yeah, to see it, to it avoid, exists. Yeah, I try yeah. to avoid video because it affects me too emotionally. So the next thing, is the Dalai Lama supposed to be celibate? I believe so. Okay, so that takes up part of my remedy right there. Yeah, um, but but again, again, this is another reason why celibacy is not natural and God doesn't require it. You know why there's celibacy in the Catholic Church? Because Pope Innocent II didn't want priests leaving land and wealth to their children. So in 1138 AD, yeah. he banned marriage for the priests. Like it's all like exactly, it's all Da Vinci Code all shit. Money. It's all about money. It's all money. Sorry, I'm making well, the money. It's all about books. money. I mean, that's the whole thing. When you want to simplify the Democratic uh, Republican deal, you just say, people, you can't vote Republican because you're enriching billionaires and erasing the middle class. And that's it. You don't have to go into a. Why do you hate success, sir? Why do you hate hard work and success, sir? Why are you a socialist, groomer, communist, Nazi, fascist, groomer, communist, socialist? Why, why sir? Why are you grooming by, by being here? What about woke? What about woke? Why are you being a woke CRT BLM? What did we groomer? talk about last week, John? <laughs> what did we discuss? Exactly. Okay, so but he's right. The it's Dalai their favorite Lama, epithet. The Dalai, yep. Lama, yes. the Dalai Lama has to do kind of an Al Franken deal here. He has to take a time out. No, he um, there, there's there's no there, there's no time out. This is child abuse on camera. I love the Dalai kid. Lama. I have revered him for most of my life. I respect all the good mm-hmm. he's done. There's 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 no corrective here. I mean, maybe there somehow is a way to a temple out in the wilds of the Himalayas with a staff. And I was going to say, you know, if it was legal for him, he could put have him in the like red a, tent. <laughs> could have an, 
He could have an 18-year-old male prostitute that looked like he was 12, and he could suck on the guy's tongue and make his well, parents rich and everybody live happily. But again, happily the problem is a problem for Buddhists because, again, the Dalai Lama automatically gets reincarnated into the next Dalai Lama. So the next guy is going to get blamed for this. You want to talk okay, scapegoating in this life. Holy that's, that's, shit. Yeah, yeah. That's a hard logic problem there, for sure. There you that's go. He broke the brand. Jim, thank you very much for the call. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Right now, it is my sublime pleasure to welcome back Dr. Tracy Pearson, legal and analyst and consultant you've seen on TV and heard on the radio and podcasts and seen her quoted in Forbes and Fast Company. And you may have seen her on uh, Cheddar News or News Nation. Dr. Tracy, welcome back. Well, thank you, John. It's great to be here. I am everywhere. I am just <laughs> everywhere. And I'm very, very grateful for it. I'm very, very grateful for it. And we're always thrilled when you can join us. I got to say, you've done some really uh, uh, very passionate posting um, about a word that a lot of men never thought they'd have to learn. And now they know mifepristone uh, (laughs) and that we're actually seeing um, people who pretend the Bible is about something it's not uh, trying to take health care away from every woman in every state. While keeping what Cialis and Viagra and all the ED drugs uh, completely fine, it's just I, I yeah. Please, I've been I give ranting. You the floor. Yeah, I've been rant ranting, away. just ranting. I can't take it. I really can't. And I'm a very practical, modern woman. I am. And so, really, what I'd like to know is what is the end game? What is the end game? Let's just get there. Uh, you know, whoever is their leader, if they could come down, get in front of a mic behind a podium, and they could just tell me because I can represent, tell me what it is that they want from women so that we can just get there. Because, and we can tell them whether we accept or reject their offer because I've had just about enough of this incremental uh, attack. I, you know, if it's not, if it's not, uh, you know, the, the morally bankrupt Supreme Court taking away a fundamental right that I had my entire life until now. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, if it's not that, then it's the uh, restrictions. Then it's the, uh, the taking away of a drug that is is far safer than than some other drugs, and we can talk about that. And then you know it's it's preventing us from traveling, um, yeah. which is a fundamental right, and that goes back to the 1800s. Um, That's and, right. And, and just, only women, yeah. only women. The state oh. now has the power to pre- prevent only one gender from traveling. Yes. yes. And and oh oh, eliminating Plan B for uh, mm-hmm. rape victims. Um, and I just, okay, if we could just get their leader 
to come down and tell me and I will I will tell them whether we accept or reject their offer. I have a sense of what it is that they want, but I just like to know and I well, just like them to get there. What's so sinister about this, and there's many areas to choose from, starting with the Bible's not against abortion, but in this case, they they, they didn't try to ban mifepristone because they hate abortion. They tried to to take away the FDA's right to approve a drug retroactively. It's been on the market for over 20 years. So many women who've terminated pregnancies have not had to have surgical abortion. They take a pill and... Uh, and they tried to say that the FDA had no right to do it because the drug's not safe. The stat that's floating around out there, since we're actually going to have to address this, their claims that the drug's dangerous. Uh, there are five deaths for every million users of mifepristone. You know where I'm going with this. There are yes. 20 deaths for every user of penicillin. And there's 49 deaths for every user of what, Dr. Tracy? Uh, Cialis and Viagra. Correct. Function drugs. Correct. Mm -hmm. 49 deaths per every million Viagra takers, only five for mifepristone. They just, they just, they can't do it without lying, can they? No, no. They see things differently. They see a different world than, than the two of us see. Absolutely. I, I went online and I, I looked at the side effects of these drugs and i'm going to post this afterwards and and i printed them out the the side effects for mifepristone are are itty bitty teeny bitty little list the side effects for cialis and for viagra very very big list and here's the kicker about this the the, the highest risks are for people who is it, contraindicated for people who take um uh cardiovascular drugs alpha blockers uh nitrates okay very uh, hypotensives the very drugs that actually sort of lead to uh erectile dysfunction in the first place so um the people who who shouldn't be taking it that's who it's contraindicated for it's utterly ridiculous but i i you know you if we're going to go with the whole, let's be, you know, natural and whoever we are, well, then, you know what, if if God wanted you to have a limp dick, then that's what he should Thank allow you, you to exactly have. Exactly right. And that's the will of the Lord. Drugs. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 don't even get me started about uh, Peroni's disease. OK, all mm -hmm. of this stuff is just crazy. I mean, men, you don't need these drugs. You don't yeah. need them. They're unsafe for you. I'm concerned for you. I'm worried. You know, for me, they always say, well, it's the it's the save a human life. It's the save a human life. There was a report today that um, 32,000 fewer abortions have been performed than normal since Roe v. Wade was gutted. Of course, those are only legal abortions. We will never know how many illegal amateur jobs have been carried out over the last few months. That's the whole point of legalizing it and regulating it. But for me, I always ask these men, should the state have the power to forcibly take a kidney or bone marrow out of your body, whether you want it to or not, to save the life of a dying person if you're the only donor match. Now, 100% of these men have said no, no. <laughs> and it's like, well, now you're finally beginning to discover body autonomy because it's to save a life. You'd let someone else die? You would let someone die instead of letting the government take control of your body autonomy? And it's exactly what we're talking about here. Absolutely. I, I have a list of the things that they won't do. They will not protect children in schools. They um, they and I say this, they won't pay child support. Um, mm -hmm. And the data shows this. Um, the people who they think are 
um, who, who they think it's family values. The people who are not paying child support are uh, people who are divorced, not not never married. So it's not the the out of wedlock people that that are needing the child support. It's the people who are divorced. Um, it is 95 percent of all Americans have had premarital sex. Don't yeah. talk to me about about family values. Don't talk to me about about saving lives. Don't talk to me about, you know, the Medicaid programs and the the food stamps and all these things that you want to gut if you want people to survive. Don't talk to me about foster care. I used to represent kids who were in foster care. And I, the number of kids I represented who had been sexually assaulted in foster care would break your heart. Um, yeah. And and that was after they got taken out of their homes because they were sexually assaulted there. But we're going to, where are we going to, I said to my husband last night, I said, look, I, I said, I think these women should just go find these men and they should, you know, when they're about to give birth, just squat on their stoops and just leave the child there. If it weren't for the pain and the hormones and the it, it, pregnancy wrecks your brain, it, it does a whole bunch of things and, and it's permanent. And if they would just, if, 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 if it's, there's no way to demonstrate this to them other than yeah. to do that. Well, I mean, I also think shame and ridicule have their place. You know, I think any politician who claims to want to cut down the the abortion rate, but who doesn't want sex ed taught in schools and who doesn't want to have substantially easier access to birth control for poor women of any age is not serious about ending abortion. I mean, this has been the Republican Party's number one fundraiser. And, and I want to get back to our callers in a second. But let me just ask you really quick. You know, what's the end game here? I mean, it just kind of seems like Republicans have lost all interest in ever winning elections on a national level or in swing states. I I do not know what the end game is, but it sure seems to me like they are feeling like their feelings are hurt over the fact that maybe they didn't get the promotion because it was in the 70s. Coincidentally, um, after Roe v. Wade, that, that I mean, women really started to gain some power. And um, we are now representative of about a little over half the workforce. And it's going to really hit them pretty hard if women can't work. And um, yeah. the workforce is going to be depleted. It's already struggling now because we can't find workers. Um, and well, I think well, let's, that, let's talk about but even on the poverty level, Tracy, sorry to interrupt, but these states have just decided to punish their poorest women residents with greater poverty. And that means all these local taxpayers that are cheering these policies now are going to be paying for these policies in perpetuity uh, forever, or at least the next 18 years. And yet it's the majority of the nation that doesn't want these policies. They don't yeah. want them, but they're doing it anyway. And and I am just I don't understand it. I I have a right to not practice a religion. I don't want somebody else's religion. And and to the extent that people are relying on religion as the basis for this, I don't want yours. Stop trying to give it to me. And 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 I just don't understand it. So it, it, I, I'm interested in what other people have to say about this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we are opening up the phones. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Before we get to the calls, I just got to play one one really quick clip because I just kind of love this. Arizona might be done with Carrie Lake, but Carrie Lake is not done with Arizona. Uh, here <laughs> she details her hopes and dreams for OAN, which is still around and still able to book Carrie Lake, A5. Obviously, my case is, is the most important thing. Of course. But you're asking... If things don't go well, if right. the judicial system is hasn't much more gone corrupt well. than, we, than we think it is, what happens? Yeah. I am seriously considering a run for Senate. Yes, absolutely. Because 
just because they sold an election, we're so dangerous to them. I'm so dangerous to the status quo in this rotten swamp that they're willing to steal the election to stop me and our movement. I'm not letting them get away with that. We're not going away. And so I am seriously considering a run for Senate. All the polling shows that I would win, not just the primary. The polling is showing I would beat both Kirsten Sinema and this socialist guy that's running. <laughs> All the other Democrats Democrat. jumping in. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this socialist guy that's running. Um, listen, I, I, I got to apologize. I thought by now Carrie Lake would have, you know, just pitched her syndicated daytime show and just been done with it. But um, I, I, I kind of feel like this ties into Roe v. Wade because Kirsten Sinema is willing to let that person take that Senate seat. By doing what she's done, Kirsten Cinema is finally, we're in the end game. She is showing that um, giving up on abortion rights for women is not a deal breaker for her selfish heart. I'm not from Arizona and I don't live there, but boy, do I feel like I got punked by her. Kirsten Cinema. Oh, yeah, me too. I interviewed her. I had her on TV a couple of years ago. Ten years ago, I was I was guest hosting Jennifer Granholm's show. Now our Secretary of Energy, but Jen had a show on Current TV called The War Room, and I was guest hosting for a week in San Francisco. And I I had Kirsten Cinema on as my guest, and she was a state representative at the time. She was renowned as the first openly bisexual member of Congress, openly. And um, now what she's done is just. <sighs> fed the stereotype that bisexual people are confused liars, which they money, didn't need. Money, 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 money. Let's go to the phones. We're at 866-997-4748. Jim in Illinois. Hello and welcome. Uh, it's Jeff Illinois. Oh, Jeff in Illinois. Jim, I'm so like sorry. I always, yeah. Like I always click on workingdogsforvets.org. Workingdogsforvets.org. And uh, throw them a few bucks. Okay. Hey, John, yes. you know I think that uh, they're trying to stop all these abortions because they're afraid the school shooters are going to run out of kids. <laughs> oh, uh, I know. Oh, I know it sounds oh. like that's a shitty thing to say, but but you know, um, you know, none of this, none of this stuff, getting guns off the streets or off the off the uh, gun shops and everything, it's not going to yeah. stop until they start putting it on TV. I agree. Just like they did in Vietnam. That's right. You know, the Vietnam War stopped because they put it on TV. It's true. No. It, yeah. By the way, I think I think that's what I say about executions. The death penalty will stop when they put it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know, see somebody hanging there, kicking and screaming. Well, mostly just I, kicking. I don't think so, because <laughs> that Nicholas Cruz trial, I mean, I can't tell you, it was over three million people were watching just one channel. Um, on YouTube to watch that Nicholas Cruz uh, death penalty trial. And it, you had to listen to all of those those kids screaming and dying and the gunshots. And it was horrible. Yeah. And it didn't stop anything. Yeah. Well, I know uh, that there's a, a site that I was watching that uh, when the Buffalo grocery store shooting was, the murderer was running around shooting all the black people. And there was a, a white guy laying there in the aisle to check out. Yeah. And he went and pointed his his weapon at him. And uh, as soon as he saw that he was white, the shooter said, oh, I'm sorry. And uh. went on to the next aisle. So, wow. I don't, well, that's going really to ruin my opinion of mass shooters. You know, I, I already didn't like mass shooters, right. but one of them's a racist. That's a real deal breaker for me. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's wow. the first thing I thought of. It's my least favorite but, kind of mass killer is the bigoted ones. Yeah. That's right. Well, anyway, workingdogsforvets.org. Thank Watch you, some of the videos off of there. And throw them a few bucks. Every Thank dollar you. you give goes straight to helping a team. 
You know what? It is a a truly great charity, and that's why I love when you promote it whenever you call in. Thank you so much. Okay. (laughs) We're at 866-997-4748. Want to hear from you at 866-997-GRIT. Dr. Tracy, uh, meet Mitch from Kent State. Hi, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Dr. Tracy, so good to hear you. Thank you. Uh, John, uh, first of all, i got some unfinished business, if I may, real quick. Unfinished uh, business, okay. Yes, unfinished music, musical drip, uh, Oh, God. What? <laughs> real quick. Oh, no, this we is the thing. Every night, every, every night, doctor, this gentleman has to call me and try to humiliate me with his superior knowledge of arcane rock <laughs> trivia and minutiae. So go ahead. Go Aww. ahead. No, I'm just... Uh, we were talking about um, artists that were uh, in their last year or last... Uh, Time, you know, dying while they were recording. This was Chris's uh, thing. Yeah, Chris brought up this whole topic up. Right. Not, not, not an artist's last album before they died, right. or their posthumous album. An artist, an al- uh, an album, an artist recorded when they knew they were right. dying, like Warren Zevon or or Leonard Cohen uh, or Gil Scott Heron. Yeah, yeah. Nat King Cole, his last album, Love, uh, which ironically was released on uh, Valentine's Day in 1965. He was, uh, well, he had a heart conditioner. Um, he was sick at the time. Uh, okay. Got Where is it? Nat King Cole. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm following. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, lung cancer. I'm just sorry. Yeah, he had lung cancer uh, at the mm. time when he was recording those last tracks. And uh, Greg Allman. That's right. Greg Allman. Great. Yes, exactly. Uh, the Southern the Southern Blood album. Uh, he was uh, sick at the time. But uh, awesome. his voice was so, so strained. Mitch, you have officially won Thursday's call-in topic. Thank you. <laughs> Freddie Mercury. Freddie, and he knew he was dying when he made his solo record, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. What else, Mitch? Thank you. All right. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I pulled up an article from the Atlantic Magazine about five years ago. It came up about five years ago. There was a, uh, an Army man who uh, had an idea of, uh, we regulate guns in the military. Why can't they be regulated, uh, you know, in civil society yeah uh, we have a we have a well-regulated militia and completely unregulated dudes yeah yeah i mean uh, if you had a, a, a registration of something even a registration of some sort that i mean i mean the army uh you know the military you know has keeps an eye on all this you know every every single move that they make as far as uh you know the, the, the equipment and everything else it's all it's all uh, you know under microscope as far as the, the movements of any of this equipment and stuff like that, but if the army can do it, why can't they? You know, uh, why can't this be carried over into uh, into uh, civilian? You know, as far, you, know. you know why? Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? Because yeah. the army's socialist. It's not for profit. They can't That's be bought. The reason. Right, Tracy? Am I being too flip? They can't be bought. They're socialist, not capitalist, and that's why the army doesn't fuck around that way. No, no. Go ahead, Tracy. Go ahead. They're the government. They're the government. Well, but but the military is a socialist military. It's not a for-profit military. The Second Amendment protects people from the government, supposedly. Yes. I don't feel very protected. Nor do I. Nor do I. It's, it protects uh, it protects no one. The Second Amendment has been twisted. So now morons think that they need that AR-15 to kill all the soldiers and or cops who come to their house to confiscate their precious entertainment. You can't bring a AR-15 to a drone fight, Tracy. The government, no, if they no. want you dead. And by the way, 
Why, why are you so special, MAGA? Why is the government going to come to your house? What kind of skins are you drawing in the attic? What, what, what kind of collection of children's clothing are you hiding in the basement that the government's going to come to your house, MAGA? Well, you saw what they did on January 6th. But. Absolutely. Thank you, Mitch. It was probably about five years ago by, by, by an ex-military man who uh, said, you know, why, why couldn't this carry over somehow? I mean, you know, they regulate so well that, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it's least, protected and, and this, you know, it just would carry over, I think, as far as safety and everything else. It just, but these uh, things take time, Mitch. The, 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 yeah. the, the, the Civil War has been over for over 150 years. And this year, 150 yeah. years later, we're yeah. finally getting around to not naming American military bases right. after Confederate traitors. So these things take time. Yeah. You know, I, I always try, I mean, every time I was shooting, I think of the, the late Harry Nelson, how he was, you know, uh, when Lennon was shot, he just... That was handguns. We were worried about handguns back then, you know, in the seventies and eighties. It's just handguns. And well, you can still worry about you know, handguns. Don't worry. You can still worry about, the, especially in Florida this week. I mean, you can really worry about yeah, those too. Yeah, but now it's graduated to the to this, uh, you know, to these AR-15s and yeah, it's mass uh, slaughter for entertainment. Exactly. But uh, God bless Harry Nielsen because uh, he worked so hard to. Uh, you know, that, was, that was his call. Great songwriter. His last years. Yeah. Right on. Thank you so much, Thank Mitch. You, John. Yeah. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank, thank you. I mean, Dr. Tracy, we were talking earlier, like, you know, after any of these mass shootings, you see, I, I've never belonged to a political party, but it's always consistent. Democrats want to do something. Republicans say thoughts and prayers. Um, and when I say Democrats, I mean some. A lot of Democrats feel that this is a loser issue for campaigning, so they don't all talk about it. And that's why we're not going to see any real meaningful reform, because... Too many Democrats are looking at the polls and they're afraid that it could cost them votes in their district. So they won't actually fight for any kind of change. We'll just keep on deciding as a culture that these mass shootings are acceptable. I uh, Exactly. I think that I was never a fan of term limits. And yet I sit here and I go, if if you didn't have to worry about getting reelected for yeah. the rest of your life, what could you accomplish? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Something. The way, There's got to be something that we can do here, but it just feels like we're entrenched and it's never going to change. I'm having one of right. those Tuesdays. Well, here's the deal also. From 1996 to 2019, this was just released by the National Institute of Justice. That's in the DOJ. Uh, 77% of mass shooters purchased at least some of the weapons used in the shootings legally. Now, illegal purchases were only 13% of mass shootings, but more than 80% of the people responsible for school shootings, kindergarten through 12, stole their guns from family members. 80%. Hard to believe that's not somehow preventable. Um, Let me go back to the phones. Daniel is calling from the great state of Connecticut. Hi, Daniel. Thank you very much. You're on Sirius XM with Dr. Tracy Pearson. Hello, Mr. Fiegelson. Love you. Hello. Um, Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? I sure can. Um, um, I'd like to address... Two issues real quick, and then I'll hang up. Um, one thing you were speaking about, circumcision before. Interesting yeah. enough, I thought the Jewish people invented circumcision, but actually it was started by the ancient Egyptians. Re- so and, it's cultural um, appropriation? Possibly. <laughs> but anyways, um, they, they say, you know, the medical experts claim that circumcision is necessary for 
men for hygiene purposes. Not anymore. They haven't. They they, they reversed that in the late nineties. They have not argued. Really? The, the the American Medical Association has said circumcision is not necessary in babies since the late nineteen nineties. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> yes, and to issue kind of on, um, yep, on a, I did not know that on abortion. Uh, as you know, I called up in the past to talk to you about the uh, the abortion issue. I, I'm yes, not sir. comfortable with it on demand. You know. Okay. Not well, you're not that. a woman, so it's never going to happen to you, is it? Yes, but you're never going to have to make that choice because you're not a woman, so you're <laughs> never going to have to make that choice. A woman has to make that choice, not us. So you you got off lucky with your gender. Yes, but. If a man is take responsibility for his actions, he should be part of the situation too. If he's willing I agree. to take child support, but it's a but it's a but, but it's a woman's it's a woman's choice though, Daniel. Right? A woman gets to decide this, right? Not us. Yes, I agree that in the end, but at the same time, we do have to take account that this is at least when the fetus starts the heartbeat, it is a living creature, and we can't just yeah. pretend that it's. So no, is your I'm sperm. Yeah, sper- sperm is too, but but again, this is this is you know sperm you can have you, you can thing though, is it? You can have a heart cell beating in a petri dish, okay, and it, it can be a living thing. So again, the, it, the the thing is, it's not for men like you and me to decide. It's just not. We don't we don't get to decide this for women. So we can be angry yeah, about it or like it or right. you know, but we can't decide it. It's not up to us. All right, thank you. Have a good night. You're a gentleman. I thank you very much for the call, Daniel. He got it right, Tracy. Yeah, I think he. I think we moved him. I think we moved him. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I've lately one been asking one. people. I just say more and more. I'm like, do American women have a right to not be pregnant, or can the government tell them they don't have that right? And try that one. You'll get some very interesting responses from people. I, I want to know what abortion on demand is. Is there a drive-through somewhere? Yeah, it's, I, I feel like know. it right now. Yeah, at a third trimester, and you know what? I've I've done everything right, but I just decided I'm bored, and those next two months seem like too much work. Like, <laughs> you know, first off, the majority of women who terminate pregnancies are mothers, which will tell you it's not something people do for recreation. It's something that's an economic necessity for people, and they're just creating more poverty by doing it. So you know what? Why don't we create a, why don't we create a situation where women of every economic strata don't need to worry about the finances. Pregnancy and having a baby should be free in this country. And if you don't want to do that, I don't think you have any position or any right to voice your opinion on banning abortion. I think they also do it for other reasons, obviously. I mean, there's there's all sorts sure. of reasons. It's not just economic reasons. And, You're very and right. those are being, being put at risk as well. Um, Correct. It's better to kill the woman than to end the pregnancy. Explain that crap to me. (laughs) Can I explain it to you? Want me to explain it to you? Men made that shit up. Okay. All right. I understand now. All right. That's the nuance I think your equation required. Uh, Mike in Michigan, you're on with Dr. Tracy. Hey, Tracy. (laughs) Yeah. You were talking about what's that that drug, methoprestone or whatever? Methoprestone. Methoprestone. Yep. Yeah. And then what, 43 or Viagra? 49. 49. Wow. 49 per million. So for every million people that take a Viagra, 49 die. For every million women who take a Mifepristone, five of them die. And they're trying to say we have to ban that drug that's been approved for over 20 years because five out of every million die. 
And it's also yeah, taken point. for other reasons. It's taken to treat uh, secondary uh, diabetes to Cushing's disease. Mm-hmm. So that's right. It's it's yeah, a the, multi-use drug. Forty-three that died of Viagra. What a way to go! Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess I wasn't there, uh, so maybe. <laughs> you wouldn't know if you were coming or going, would you? Yeah. Let. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty hard. How my dare you, Chris? Said he, before he died, he wanted to go out of this world like he came into this world, kicking and screaming between a woman's legs. But anyway. There you go. All right. Well, Dalai Lama, I didn't know he was a Pentecostal. I beg your pardon? Hey, he spoke in tongues. Oh, 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 go away. Oh, oh, it burns us. It burns us. Oh. <laughs> I, you know what? There's, you know what? We have a lovely prize waiting for you in the lobby on your way out. That was, that was worth it. You, you held on, you, you waited on hold for an hour to drop that. And, and I guess I deserve it for making you wait that long. I think you get like a t-shirt or a cup or something. <laughs> Viagra prescription. Yeah. Joel Gray's still alive. That's amazing. He's 91. He's great. He's still sharp as a tack and he's still got a great voice. But we lost, tomorrow will be the year ago we lost uh, Gilbert. <laughs> I was Gilbert Godfrey. No, I know who you meant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just, it's uh, hard to believe it's been a year. Last year was a rough year. Yeah. We, I mean, we lost, we lost a lot of great comedians last year. Uh, we lost Bob and we lost Louie and we lost Gilbert back to back. And all three of them were very, very, very good friends of this show. So I'm with you. Before, before that was Norm, you know. But, and we lost Norm at oh, 21. One, one mm-hmm. thing about circumcision. You know, and by the way, by the by the way, can I just say we lost Norm, we lost Saget, we lost Gilbert, we we lost Louis, yeah. and everyone, everyone, I know everyone's wondering the same thing. You know, um, wh- why not Carrot Top? Why those guys? We're all wondering, but you know, it's just I'm spiritual. <laughs> I, that's I told, why. I I told Chris that we needed to wrap you in bubble wrap. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, death doesn't want me. Death doesn't want to be seen with me. That's my problem. Mike, Real I quick. gotta run, but I thank you very much for the okay. call. Real quick. The yes. Circumcision of the heart. It's circumcision of the heart. That's what we need. What is that? A stent? Well, the circumcision <laughs> of the heart. I, yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of mixed metaphors, but I don't understand what that would look like or why you would do it. Ow. No, it's in, it's in the Bible, man. It's in Romans eight. Take no, I remember when I got my aorta done. It looks really cute. I had some. I got a bedazzler on it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. We need love, man. God bless we, you. God. That we do need. You know, I, I tried to explain circumcision to my child this weekend, and he was very upset. But I said, look, some some guys are helmets and some guys are anteaters. Uh, that, that's all, you know. And I said, I, I prefer helmet. That's what I grew up with. I'm used to it. It's more aesthetically pleasing to me. And uh, I tend to choke on the other kind. So I, I feel like I had to talk with him. Um, I, I think he got that I was joking because I, I thought it was I kept laughing all night. The Child Protective Services people did not find it funny, but I'm glad you laughed. <laughs> 